This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I tell job seekers all the time, the last thing you need really, if you're looking for a job is a personal brand. And for people that are listening that are personal branding experts, I mean, you would only say that if you've actually been a hiring manager, if you've actually done any level of recruiting that for the most part, especially now with everything's going on in our country, who you hit your wagon with has financial consequences like never before. So as a job seeker, I mean, I interviewed probably 12 times from August to about January my values were I wanted to be close to my kids, you know, geographically and emotionally. So I never found that role that fit that value. In the back of your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having Michael Chapman with me today. Michael, how are things in New England, man? Good, man. We got sunny skies and uh, no complaints. No complaints. You just had a road trip, went and rented a big truck and all kinds of stuff this week. That's right. Look, man, before we dive into this, if the listeners want to get in contact with you, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn. I'm actually Michael David Chapman on LinkedIn. So that should be the only cat with that name you find. Super formal. You'll find out why here in a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) So sometimes I just meet people and it clicks. And I I told one of my friends, like, I'm kind of like a puppy. Like, I find you and then I was like, you're going home with me or I'm going home with you and we're just going to be friends forever. And we had a conversation off of like this random person jumping in my DMs on LinkedIn and scheduled a call with me and I show up and you're on the other side. I'm like, who's this guy? And then we start talking and he does this amazing job of building rapport, but I think there's a whole journey that happened before you got to this place. So if you don't mind, tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Yeah, so the skinny executive version is uh, I'm stuck in New England. I moved here uh, in 2013. Now it's just a me and the kids, which is fine. Me and her are friends. It was our fourth move in six years, which tells you a lot. I'll leave that for your audience as a sort of a trigger, like four moves in six years. But no, I'm a Georgia native. 
that moved to New England in 2013. In 2013, my life as I knew it both definitely personally and then later professionally, it took a turn what seemingly looked like for the worse. It really took a turn for the better. Uh, and so now seven years later, I mean, I was 40 back then. So it seems like that age 40 is like, you know, some things happen to certain men. I don't know. I've been thriving ever since. It took a long time to get here. It wasn't always pretty, but a major relational failure and a huge professional pivot and switch really explains the last, you know, five, five, six, seven years of my life. So which one's the chicken? Which one's the egg? The relationship failure, which I'm not sure it's a failure. We'll dig into that in a second or the pivot in the career. Yeah. For me, I had so much stock put in. I mean, I grew up with traditional values. I grew up on the front row of a Baptist church where you got married and you stay married forever. And, you know, I, I still believe in marriage, even though I've failed twice. I don't mind sharing that. You know, I had so much of my sense of self-worth, uh, self-esteem value wrapped up into one relationship. And while I do believe in relationships, like, you know, even if you and I are friends, I mean, you, you speak into my value and I speak into yours and this kind of thing. And we all sort of siphon off, if I can say that, or glean value from the relationships in our life. I totally get that. But when you put a relationship so high onto a pedestal and you believe it's the only thing, even above your own faith values, which in my case I did, and then that falls, you know, what do you have? What do you want to have should have been the question in my 30s. What do I want to have if this thing fails? And for me, I had no really reason to be afraid or fearful, but I was a fearful guy for four decades of my life. And I didn't even realize until that relationship failed. And so when it failed, I had to face me. I had to face my fear. I had to face my deceptions, beliefs, habits, all kinds of stuff. And it's, it's been a journey. So it was the relationship first. And then that caused me to look at the toxic work environment I was in to say, look, I don't want to do this anymore. So how did you make the pivot? Because you were making good money. Yeah. Listen, I didn't finish school. And so I was making a great salary with a lot of freedom in terms of discretion with travel and, uh, you know, with bonus structure and all the things that come with that. And from what I understood, well-regarded in terms of my abilities to get things done in that space, it was toxic. It was well-regarded. We could talk about that if you want. I mean, it's interesting I didn't intend on being an entrepreneur. I always had the entrepreneurial mindset. If anyone's listening that's ever been like worked for a company and gone into, you know, entrepreneurship, you know what I'm talking about. You say like, you know, it always created a riff and a, and a rub when you would kind of go against the grain at the company or, or corporate life. I didn't intend on doing it. My number one goal when I walked away actually almost three years ago, uh, August of 17, was I wanted to do it differently. I wanted to be honest with the guy and say, look, I need to leave. I'm losing my family. What's left of it? I'm doing 60,000 miles a year in a, in a Honda and I can't do this anymore. Uh, I hopefully one day want my kids to come home and want to spend time with me. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't just decide to do that. I had a lot of help through a lot of trepidation. In fact, the day that I made a decision to do it. One of my very good friends grabbed me by the shoulders and he's just like, you know, he listened to him and Han. We were on the we were on a golf course. And he's like, just effing leave. And as strong as that is, and as hard as that may be to hear, after some other 
real world and spiritual affirmations. I went into his office a week later, said, look, I need to leave. Let's talk about how I leave. You know, I basically left without a job, which is, again, if you're a career coach listening, that's the last thing you tell a client to do. But I wanted to be different. And I don't know why, but I felt a calling to do that. And that's what I did. I went to look for a job <laughs> after that. Like I, I was a job seeker at that point. So, Because you wanted something different so bad, but you didn't want to leave the construct that you were used to. Yeah. And I didn't have a lot of faith in it. I mean, here I am 40, I guess 44 at that point. And I'm like, who's going to hire me? No college degree. Father of four, typically you don't leave out the husband part. So father of four means divorce. So who's going to hire an uneducated, although, you know, experienced senior leader into a company, you know, at that stage in his life. And I know that happens all the time, but that was my limiting beliefs. And so I went and started looking for a role and, you know, ended up never finding one, which is a whole nother part of the story. Whoa. What do you mean? I mean, the day I gave notice that I got back on LinkedIn, look for a role. I mean, I had used LinkedIn at that point to like regrade articles, find great talent for our company and, you know, to look for jobs when I needed a job. And that's my idea of LinkedIn. It wasn't anything like it is now. Little did I know, you know, a year before that or months before that, Microsoft had purchased the company and it was totally different when I got in the feed and started looking for roles and content and just trying to get a sense of what's going on. You know, it was like more personal. People started sharing stories about leadership, much more defined, much more open, much more vulnerable, much more transparent, perceived genuine stories about leadership. And so I began to do the same thing. And I just grew, you know, from the time I might have had a thousand connections right around that. And the more that I grew in terms of my reach and my message, I'm going to assume that people that looked at my profile, I'm just an assumption, perhaps employers you know, looked at that and said, you know, this guy is too vocal in the feed. I tell job seekers all the time, the last thing you need really, if you're looking for a job is a personal brand. And for people that are listening that are personal branding experts, I mean, you would only say that if you've actually been a hiring manager, if you've actually done any level of recruiting that for the most part, especially now with everything's going on in our country, who you hitch your wagon with has financial consequences like never before. So as a job seeker, I mean, I interviewed probably 12 times from August to about January, my values were I wanted to be close to my kids, you know, geographically and emotionally. So I never found that role that fit that value. Whoa. And I think people looked and said, guys, guy's always in the feed. He's always in the feed. When would he, when would he work? <laughs> Who knows? Wait, you just dropped the bomb. Yeah. If you want a job, a personal brand is not what you want. Talk to me about that. Well, I'll say it like this, because again, I've got, and I'm going to put this into my feed on Monday. So, you know, I've got a lot of good friends and good friends, not just people that I engage their content, but friends that are in, that get paid great money because they do great work in the personal branding space. Okay. That's, that's all they do. And I'm saying this with respect first. Okay. However, from a job seeker's perspective, right, or from a hiring manager's perspective, if I work for ABC company, it's a hundred million dollar publicly held company that has a certain set of values. Okay. That perhaps don't necessarily align with the company values. That's okay. Maybe you shouldn't work there, but to blanket personal branding as we just, you do personal brands, a job seeker. I mean, you got to tell the whole story and say, for the most part, Oftentimes, 
those values or that messaging or that content doesn't align with the company. And so why is a hiring manager going to take a chance? You know, it's a, it's a big risk for them because they're accountable. I thought that's what leadership was all about was expressing your values and being transparent. Come on. Well, look, man, I mean, like I'm only going by my experience. I mean, like I'll use me. I was a job seeker. I started to interview about the second week of September of 2017. So it was about a month after I gave notice and I was still gainfully employed. I negotiated a four month runway to walk away. I mean, that decision to be transparent, even in a toxic work environment, you know, the owner honored that. Okay. I need to give credit where it's due. So when I would interview, okay, in that four or five month period, my personal brand was father of four. My personal brand was I want to be close to my kids geographically and emotionally. Now, the geographically people understood. But when I said the emotionally, that opened up a conversation. What does that mean emotionally? That means to be direct. I was never this unsophisticated, perhaps, in the interview or this direct, but I will not take a position where I smell the hint of toxicity. I learned so much from my last role. The five years I was there, as I was going through my second major breakup, my second divorce, on who I will and will not work for and work with. End of discussion. Now, I was not that direct. Uh, you know, I was, I can't remember. I, we could go down that path. And I help people all the time that develop questions to snuff out toxicity in a workplace, especially in an interview process. But I mean, like, if you're a hiring manager that's just trying to fill a good role and you've got a guy like me sitting across from that has that kind of passion about treating people with respect, you know, recognizing performance and giving credit where it's due and promoting the right people on merit. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. That might not be the passion or the energy you want in your business as good as it sounds. I don't know. <laughs> I never got hired. Emotionally means like I'm coming here. You say in your value statement, in your mission statement, you respect people, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and companies do that. I'm not, I'm not watering it. A lot of them don't. Um, but the rubber meets the road when you're sitting across the table on a Zoom call with a recruiter or you fly to Pennsylvania was one of my interviews. I flew to Pennsylvania and interviewed with a massive you know, energy company. And I remember sitting across the table from a Wharton graduate who was asking me that. And like, there's a lot of smart people, right? That went to Wharton school. In this particular case, nobody, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not, I didn't finish. I mean, what do I sound bitter that I didn't finish? I'm, I'm just saying the point. He would not connect my vision for how I implanted on treating the people in my employee. I mean, it scared him. So, you know, I didn't, you know, it's fine. <laughs> what are you laughing about? What's the I remember too on LinkedIn, disruptor, disruptor, disruption. I realized later, like I was disrupting, like I disrupted my life, but I was disrupting interviews. I mean, not on scale. It's another word that's thrown around, but I was living the walk because I just knew, you know, if I was going to put the time in, especially if I was going to have to travel and maybe give up on some of the geography piece, I wasn't going to give up on the emotional piece. I was not the father I could have been through that second breakup because of the toxic work environment I was in. That's my personal brand that came out that I think kept people from, you know, offering me opportunities. Okay. 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 So how do you know if you have a personal brand? I mean, everyone does. If there was no social media, I mean, come on, what generation are you from? I'm asking your age. This isn't a job interview, so it's fine. Generation Y. Okay. I remember walking in 
to the lunchroom in the seventh grade. I wore parachute pants, dude. I was into breaking. You know what breaking is? Break dancing, breaking. It wasn't breaking, it's breaking. That was my brand. Van shoes, backspins, popping and locking all the way into Z Cavarici. A lot of people don't know that. Z Cavarici in high school. And, you know, wedge cuts and earrings and trying to be looking like a rapper and trying to look cool. We've had personal brand has been around since the beginning of time. It's only been coined, in my opinion, coined and then monetized mainly because people need help with it. And a lot of brands still, I mean, need help with it. Um, has it been a little bit overcooked in social media? Of course it has, but everything gets overcooked. I mean, it's a crowded space and, and that's okay. But no, I mean. Your personal, look at your shirt. What do you mean by, I, mean, I asked you this before you start recording. What do you mean by Red Pill? I mean, I know what you meant. I saw the movie. We watch it about every quarter. We watch the whole trilogy. But I wanted to get more of you. Like that's, your brand is like, oh, what, what are you enlightened? You know, what, what are you, what are you smart? What are you, a smart guy? Smart guy? Because you, because you took the Red Pill? <laughs> you have a brand. I mean, it's happening right now, you know? All right. So listen, man, how many followers do you have on LinkedIn? Um, just over a quarter million. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always tell people, what are you going to do with 50,000 followers that you can't do with, with eight? Right. So, I mean, I, I, I've not forgotten the people that helped me. Some of the people I'm not as tight with anymore, but because we just, we disagreed on things, but you know, I'm very, I'm very grateful for that. But you threw around the word scale, right? And so let's talk about being at scale. Cause there are things that you can do with a quarter million that you can't do with. 250. Right. Yeah. True. True. So why build something that big? Because I mean, it's got to be intentional. That doesn't happen by accident. You know, like we talked about, you know, last week, right? I always start here. Okay. This is this this is gonna be hard to hear, but you give a fifth grader a cell phone and time, and they'll do the same thing. Not to minimize what I've done or anybody's built a following or Minimize a fifth grader. I don't know when it started, you know, when they really changed their emphasis. I don't have historically. I know it had to have happened on this side of that acquisition in 2016, but where they switched from the, the emphasis from long form articles to really putting a premium on pushing, accelerating the what you call the short form posts, the posts that are inside of 1300 characters. I don't, it had to have happened on this side of the acquisition. But I remember back in late 2017, November, I was growing. I got to 10,000 followers. Da, 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 da. And I remember like a bad day on this platform when it comes to reach was 100,000 views on, on a short form, 500, 600 character post. So they made it really, really, really easy. If you had pretty decent content, great content, uh, you were giving to other people. So you weren't such a taker and you built friends, groups, in other words, pods of people, that it was easy to get reach. They really slowed it down in the spring of 18 because they recognized the perverse incentive that like a Richard Branson or Bill Gates had to like a me and you. And so now it's a lot tougher to get that kind of reach, but to be candid and to be direct, I mean, that's a huge beginning point to say that, I mean, I've got probably conservatively 10, 10 to 12,000 hours of time logged in this platform. And so consistently staying in the feed, one, in some cases, more than twice a day, giving to other people and then building relationships with the people that support one another. That's basically how I did it. 
and a favorable algorithm where you don't need ad spend to get attention. I mean, again, that goes back to the fifth grader point. <laughs> I mean, like when you look at some of the content in the feed, I'm not putting down other people's content. I'm just saying like some of this content that has like perceived less value. I'm careful with that because what is valuable content? Perceived less value, like a, like a parrot on a skateboard ollieing over a picnic table gets, you know, 500,000 views over something about how to have a better relationship with your spouse. I mean, how can that happen? And that's algorithmically that way. LinkedIn is to blame for that. <laughs> Why are they not keeping that from going viral? If, if we're calling that less value on how to have a better marriage, I mean, come on, quit killing the content creator for that or content sharer for that. So that's what I did a lot of time. Why? You're on a short list of people that ask me why. So I never share it until I'm asked. You know, quitting your job on the heels of a second divorce as a single guy with, you know, two kids that live with you full time, two kids that live with you half time. This is, you know, three years ago. Living in a state where you have no family, you know, that creates a need. At the time, there was a need for a position, but I, I, needed, I needed to share my thoughts. I needed attention. I don't mind admitting. I always tell people at the time, like, you know, no one's putting out content to get zero attention. I mean, that's what we call journaling. We can do that right here, right? I had a need. I felt very vulnerable. I felt you know, like, what am I going to do? At the same time, I had all this pent up energy on what I wanted to do with this company. I mean, we could have been at least, I mean, no, most people never heard of this company, but what we could have done as a team with this company in an industry that I had served for over a decade. I was just in an extreme place of disappointment that I saw. So I just began to share about the lessons in leadership that I had learned. Uh, and it just took off from there. For a while, I got really addicted. I mean, the dopamine rushes of having a post. Wow. You know, I just got 10,000 views. Wow. I just got 30,000 views. Well, 100. If I can just get 100,000 views. If I can just get 1,000 likes. I mean, like that's, you know, say those things. But as you're in that space, it's what happens to people. You know, nothing's ever enough, you know. So I went through a lot of that. I mean, relationships, you know, around me were like, you know, where'd this guy go? Is he ever coming back? And for a while, I didn't, you know, to be fair, to be very honest with you. So it really wasn't a why. And I tell anybody getting into the space, you know, people ask this too, like, you know, have a plan before you get in because it is a time suck, especially if you're getting attention. It is a time suck. If people start to like you and you become popular and popular, you know, you're actually saying something meaningful that people resonate. It is a time suck. Whoa. <laughs> a lot. I mean, if you got somebody in your life, like, you know, a spouse, a partner that you want hanging around for longer than, you know, a year, be careful with LinkedIn. I mean, social media and all. I mean, we know this. We, we know who's programming. We don't know who, but they're not in it. I mean, they're in it to keep me hooked. They're in it to keep me on this platform. Some of them talk about traditional values, especially with LinkedIn, the leaders at LinkedIn, traditional family values and all that. But like, and I, I think that's good. They made some good changes in, back to February of 18 that really slowed it down, you know, to support some of that. But look, they're not in it. They, they want you on the platform for a reason. Yeah, they talk about linger. Is it linger time or hover time or dwelling time? I can't remember what it's actually called. The amount of time people spend on the post. I haven't read all of it, but it's essentially intrinsic point is is that you know the longer time people spend on your content let's just say specifically your videos the more i guess value it has to the community and the more they will throttle it or push it the more views it will get 
I don't have the time <laughs> to understand that. Like I probably should, even though I'm in that business, you put out great content, you build great, you know, people that support you and you support one another. You're going to do fine on LinkedIn. So you talked about building pods and people helped you. Who showed up to help you? Cause I mean, this part is super interesting for me. I can't remember the first person, but you know, I just remember like I was, I was just in the feed. I mean, the very first person that I connected with of a huge following at the time, 280, maybe 300,000 followers uh, was a guy by the name of Oleg Vizhnipolsky. He's a CTO of the Daily Mail. And, you know, people that are hearing this, oh, Oleg, I mean, they've, they, they, you know, they've believed that he's this caricature, this made up person, whatever. I mean, ever since that time, this is back in 2017. He's come out, he's done video, he's, he's, he's a real guy. And, and, and long after that, like, you know, I had done a call with him and, and heard his voice and whatever. But he was in the feed. And, and I remember, like, I mean, the very first post, it was something he had to say, but then he, he used a quote from Peter Drucker. And I'd read Peter Drucker, you know, leadership material and books. And I was like, wow, this is great. And so I just fell in love with the idea of sharing leadership ideas in a space that, you know, I had never seen that. I didn't see that on Facebook. You might, you have to understand my idea of social media at that point was sharing pictures of my kids on Facebook and maybe Instagram. I mean, when Facebook came out, I thought it was goofy and weird and a waste of time. You know, I came full circle when I got on LinkedIn, I had to eat my words with my son's mother. She's like, do you remember when she was working at helping a, a church back in the day with their social media? I was like, this is the biggest waste of time. So I had to eat those words. I mean, I just, I, you know, I remember sending Oleg what I thought was a friend request. Hey man, can we be friends? That's exactly what I said. Something like that. He's like, yeah. So I started following his content and started asking him questions. And then later I think because he was in the same space with Brett Brody, who's a dear friend of mine and he's got about a hundred and something. I think he's like 180,000 followers. You know, these guys all had more than me. I was just like trying to find a job, but I was, I was, I was allured by putting content out there and the response they were getting. And so I just started asking them questions and they just took time to, to show me, tell me things and not necessarily show me how to structure posts. Some people try to do that. I finally found the way that I wanted to do it, which is your way. Some of my stuff is similar, but they offer to help. Okay. Asking for help goes a long way. Closed mouth doesn't get fed, huh? Still works. It still works. All right. So I feel like people don't even know what you really do. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. The culmination of building this huge following and going to scale is what? Let's work backward, right? I'll walk backward into what I do. You think about what's happened with, you know, the pandemic, you know, and I'll use a specific example. People in the professional coaching space, there's a, there's a coach, as you know, seemingly behind every tree. That's terrible. But I'm just saying, like, it's tongue in cheek, you know, because I've seen everything, you know, not everything, but I've seen a lot. I'm trying not to generalize. I've seen a lot on social media in three years. People that are legitimately like you, that are legitimately in that space that bring legitimate value for a fee and get people results for a fee. 
that found themselves not in the digital space that did brick and mortar work. Nothing wrong with this, but never, you know, if I'd have been like, Hey, all you coaches that aren't on social media, you know, what would happen if, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't have said China. I just say like, in some unknown province somewhere on some island, blah, 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 what not island, but whatever we get a, a crazy virus that shuts down your ability to, to sit across from the, you know, and do your work at a Starbucks at, or wherever you're doing it. Where would you be with, you know, doing outreach, blah, blah, blah. Where would you be with your LinkedIn profile, your content? People have shown up here trying to take me away. So people that found themselves in that space, you know, trying to get up the curve quickly. I mean, our business, when, when COVID-19 hit, I mean, our business took off. So, so what do I do? We do two things. Um, well, I have another part of my work that I do this, how I, let me work that first. You know, when I didn't find a role, I went into coaching pretty much full time and specifically coaching men, the spaces that I came through that were pretty much avoidable. I don't help men necessarily stay married. And that has happened. I'm not a therapist, but I have helped men see the light of how staying married instead of what they think they want to do or stay at a job. You know, I help men cut through the BS that they've got going on because of years of doing life a certain way and get to the root issues and make better what I call life agreements. So that's one thing that I do. My core business is with SNA LinkedIn growth agency is two things. One, we help do outreach. We show people how to do outreach on LinkedIn or do it for them. Uh, outreach meaning take people from cold to the calendar without a pitch. We don't believe in the pitch. There's a time to pitch. Don't get me wrong. I've been in sales for years, but I'm just saying we, we do it because everyone's pitching. Number one. And number two, we have a content done for you or content strategy and boosting service as well. So if you've got content out there that's not getting attention, we'll help you do that. You've got no time to put your content out there. You've got great videos, but you need video editing. We've got a staff that can help you do all kinds of things to get your content leveled up, leveled up. Um, <laughs> To get the attention you want. I throw all the words out, out there. Can we just do that for can we have like five minutes of all the words that need to be banned from the English? You know, from, as long as we can form a synergistic relationship. Scale up my relationships and level up my time or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Now the hypocrisy in what I just said. The hypocrisy is if I got on LinkedIn right now and saw I'm at level up, man, what a great idea. You mean get better, right? Scale. I had never even heard the word scale at scale like I had until I got on LinkedIn. So that's evidence that I've got too much time. So. <laughs> this is great. Okay. All right. So you started building this thing. And at some point you, you made a decision, hey, I'm going to keep going instead of going to get a job because the job thing wasn't working. And this probably didn't work in the beginning because people thought you were crazy. So what happened that made you say, I, I got to keep going down this path? Well, so, okay. So, so now you, now you asked me the other part of the why. So, you know, I had, so I gave notice December of 17, um, August 17, I gave notice December 17, I leave the company and I've got about six months of money with child support, alimony, which I'll just share was about 60% of my net and no real 
plan but to go try to find another role in organizational leadership right and so i'd, I'd interviewed and whatever it's the craziest story right so in february of 18 because i didn't understand either like you know asking people for money i was doing some coaching and this and that and that but i, I found myself more in you know doing a lot of what we call purpose work where like if i just do you know, good work, then maybe somebody will pay me kind of a thing. I'm sorry. I'd, I'd like to get money for my time and my expertise. I was on a call with a CEO, actually a formal CEO that had just gotten let go and was being pursued in the state of Florida by his soon to be ex-wife for some shady stuff, whatever. And he was just like, you know, like, what do I do? You know, I've read your content. You know, you went through some of the similar things, which wasn't that, but just the breakup, the trauma, you know, some of these things. And I remember hearing a voice, which I call God. So for your listeners, I, I just, you know, I have traditional values there. And he was just like, are you going to make the leap or not? And the leap was, if you read what's on my profile, you know, it starts with talking about how, you know, I basically, the, I always forget what it says, but it's like, I walked away because of my faith. What you read on my LinkedIn profile was not there prior to February 18. However, it had been written by somebody else in December of 17. So I went three months terrified by saying, I have taken the bold step of restructuring my career, life, and goals around my values and faith. That's the opening line. Because God was sending people. God was sending men to work with. God was sending work. But I was terrified to accept it. It was more of this fear like of like, you know, do I deserve it? Am I qualified? What if they knew all of these things that were just not healthy? So that day I changed and I, what you read in my profile is what's been there since February 18. I tweaked it a little bit when I started doing the agency work with Sonia. But from February of 18 to like June, okay, I just see the zeros in the checking account <laughs> going down because I'm not, I'm not, you know, really behind the idea of having being an entrepreneur I'm, i've got one foot i've got one foot in one foot out i'm kind of looking for work and uh, uh, uh. and then eventually like by april i just stopped man when i got to the like the middle end of may i was like three weeks away being done being out and i just wasn't ready i just was not ready to make that leap i was still blue red you know you know come on now come on my red pill did not happen until I was about three weeks away from no money and I had a job offer from a company. I was outside of my non-compete from company in my previous industry. So I was sitting on literally an offer letter that puts me above where I was making prior to leaving that job in 17 and closer to the home. But the emotional part wasn't going to happen. There's no way that industry just, it just sucks the life out of people. A week later, a friend of mine at the time calls me and we're talking and he's doing this work with his company. I'm like, they're looking for individual contributor roles that will allow people to work from home. This was in 2018. And I remember saying, like, why am I not on that org chart being considered? And I knew this guy for 20 years. And so within a week, I'd flown out to Detroit and I'm sitting here on this offer and should I sign it or whatever. And so now I'm in this place where I know this new company is going to make me an offer. I'm doing this kind of side coaching thing that I'm not fully committed to because I've had like a half a red pill and is it pink? Is it what color is it? Whatever. And I've got this bona fide job offer. It is a plug and play for me. And I'm not going to lie, man. Like I ended up signing because they weren't, the new company wasn't moving fast enough. 
in my opinion. I signed that letter and sent it to the company. And like, cause you know, I mean, when, you know, even in my strongest faith values, I'm still weak. And literally within 24 hours, the company that was going to keep me at home, let me sell from home, still build my business and do things. They made me an offer and had to do, I had to rescind, you know, my, my acceptance of the first offer. So I did that for about nine months. I did individual contributor role for a nonprofit out in Indiana, working from home there in Indiana while I built the coaching piece until I went into the agency work into 2019. And a lot of people know that story, right? Mainly because they don't ask and that's okay. It's been a long road. And sometimes even when you think you took the red pill, like, nah, you took like a shade of a red pill. When the non-for-profit eliminated my position, I think 10 months later, it was a very, very dark red pill. And I was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. I have the momentum. I have the, the knowledge. I know enough to monetize all of this attention. And that's when I went into it full time. And I haven't, you know, I haven't thought, I haven't looked back. What was your worst fear in the process? So I want to talk about the job seeker thing first, just to help job seekers. You know, there's been some wisdom out there on, especially for people in, they're going through COVID-19 stuff. You know, the director of marketing level, they've had to step down and get a job at a Home Depot and maybe even a Target or whatever, do retail to keep the lights on and, 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 and make good on their obligations and be the parent or spouse or whatever, you know, they want to be or called to be. That there's shame in that. I remember before there was a pandemic and when the economy was good and all that, some of these jobs being like, what if I take this job? It's going to pay me the same amount of money or more. I'm going to have a great this and great that. But the title, the title, people say that titles don't matter. That is complete garbage. Tell the whole story. Really, titles don't matter. When you walk into a you know, the elementary school and the teachers have been buttholes to your kid, who you, you're not, you're going to the principal probably. I understand intrinsically titles don't matter. It's about leadership. I get all that. But Let's be real people, right? When, you know, there are times when your ego, in my case, one of my fears was, and it was because of my ego, I was afraid of being seen as taking a step back because by and large, that is, you know, I'm not beating up recruiters. I'm being, I'm trying to keep it real. By and large, recruiters and hiring managers judge you on your title. I mean, what else do they have until they get to know you? So they do matter. So that was one big fear when I was, when I was seeking a job, job seeking, job sucking, Sucking for a job was terrible. That's what it felt like at times. <laughs> I don't know how I got there. I mean, I told you, man, no script. We just go wherever. The other major, major fear was, which was deeply rooted, which came to fruition was, you know, we'll be poor. I mean, my mother worked so hard, man. And I showed this earlier with Rachel Beck. Like, I thought we were poor because I lived in a world comparison from, you know, whatever the age, five, six, seven, eight into my 30s that I was running from this idea of not being poor. And as I ran from poor, you know what I did, dude? I became more poor. I've never gone hungry. The lights have never gone off, right? And so the fear was if I don't stay in, like you stay in the construct, I won't be able to provide, you know, we'll go without. What will my kids think? And, you know, that finally broke the back of that Bad belief finally broke when the non-for-profit 
played me off. I said, look, we're, I'm going to be fine. I've been fine through this whole thing. I've been fine through walking away without a job, through the second divorce, um, not finding a job in the same construct, in the organizational leadership director role. And everybody's fine. They just want dad to be healthy. They just want dad to be happy. Ooh. So was there a point when everything was on the line? I mean, was there a rock bottom? Yeah. Not not so much on the professional side. The rock bottom in terms of what, what was really, and we hadn't talked about this, we're, we're, we're running out of time, but this is this will be a good way to land. Uh, the rock bottom was on the personal, emotional, mental health side was when, you know, me and my son's mother were going back to court for issues. And basically, to make it simple, I had the smoking gun. I was going back to court to hear a judge say to her, you're wrong, you owe, without giving the details, I was going to be healed, you know, whatever, which is all bullshit. <laughs> and I remember the day that I was on my bed upstairs in this house and I had real, I could start to see the impact that my anger, my bitterness and depression was having on my children, specifically my youngest son, who a week earlier had curled up in a ball and was crying his eyes out because and he didn't know why. And it was just the bitterness that was going on in both homes. And I don't, I'm not beating her up. I'll speak for myself. I remember that voice and saying, you know, you got to let her go. I'm like, I've already let her go. I mean, the divorce has been final for two years and you know, whatever. He's like, no, you've got to let go of your right. Let go of your right eats rights. I got rights. I got rights. I got rights. I have the right to hear a judge put my ex-wife in her place on paper and legally. Yeah. But that right was eroding not only my character and my influence in my own home, but more importantly, it was eroding my heart and it had eroded my heart. And the day that veil scale, scale, scales, veils fell off. I mean, I remember calling her and at that point. You, you talked to my ex more than I did by that point. I mean, like we didn't talk and she took the call and I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm letting all this go. And, you know, I called my attorney the next week and I said, look, I'm done. It took about a year for everyone to trust that specifically the boys and her. Um, but now we, you know, her and I can sit across the table and talk all the time about the boys. I mean, it's, it's, it was about letting go of that right. Not even to get in the tangible what I had coming to me, but let go of that right to be, you know, I don't know, not exonerated, but to, to be told I was right. Yeah. The right to be right. Being the victim gives you power because the other person is beholden to you now. Yeah. Well, and I victimized myself. It's, it's, it wasn't enough that we went through, you know, in that whole marriage, right? Two job losses four relocations, loss of a child. My first wife, seven years out of divorce, passed away. So me and my son's mother walked through my two oldest, 11 and nine at the time. Their mother died of an accidental overdose. Four relocations. And under, like, I mean, how much more did I need <laughs> to amass? And some cases, not my fault, but in some cases, self-induced tragedy and loss. And here I am, you know, the divorce is final here, and I'm like, you know, holding on, you know, so that was rock bottom, not in like, you know, I'm down on Skid Row, you know, snorting a line or something crazy like that, but rock bottom in terms of I had nothing else to fight.
I was done. Was now open hands to heaven and say, and I have not, I'm not holding on to anything else. Wow. All right. So what are you most grateful for now? Mainly the losses and the learnings from the losses. I mean, our relationship with God is probably first the family that stood by me through that, you know, my kids that stood by that, but really the pill since we're on that topic, you know, that I did take it, even though at times I try to resist. I mean, because you don't just take, I don't think you just take one. Just like saying, like, you know, I've only got to go through one loss. Once you learn about loss and I've got it. Now, I mean, sometimes you got to take more than one red pill to wake up and, and get there. And so the opportunities to, even though I resisted it most of the time, has made me feel more confident, more aware. And to know that I have the choice. If I choose to be toxic, it's not done because I didn't know I'm choosing that. So becoming powerful in my decision-making, becoming powerful in the way that I think so that when I have the right in that case of February 18 of walking away from that case, having the power to use it and not use it, that feels great. Having the power to say something and not, even though I failed at that, I do still, it feels good to be that aware. Grateful for that. Michael, what dream are you most focused on catching next? No, I'm learning to dream. That's, that's, that's a whole other thing. Like I spent all that time. None of that was a dream. I actually never learned to dream. It's a huge problem. So I'm learning to dream. I don't have an answer because so much of it was about becoming a father. And, you know, if I just get married and do that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll replace this pain that came with fatherlessness. Well, I did all that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not really dreaming. So um, I feel like, you know, at 47, I'm learning to do what perhaps, you know, you might've learned to do in your, in your younger years. So I don't have an answer. What gift are you giving the world? Mm, the story, you know, where it's, you know, I don't want to force it. You know, I am obviously not concerned perhaps what necessarily people may think about some of that stuff. You know, I believe that if you have any wisdom or intelligence or experience that sits on a shelf, you know, collects dust, that's a waste. Uh, but I want to do it smartly. You know, I want to do it smartly. Maybe I'm a little bit too reserved about it. Everyone's got a voice and that's okay. There's plenty of pie and space on LinkedIn and social for everybody. Where God opens the doors for specific people to hear the story, open and willing. That's the gift. And that, you know, from a, from a parenting perspective, my kids go on and, you know, the, the three generations of alcoholism that tried to, you know, finally infect, you know, my life, you know, that, that, I've, that I've snapped that and broken that. And my kids can grow up and be healthy, good, responsible citizens on this planet. Happy to. Yeah. So before I ask the final question, Michael, I just want to affirm you for being the glitch in the matrix, man. You are radically transparent and you own your story and you don't worry about judgment. And so I appreciate you being willing to share with listeners. You've spoken to me on a number of different levels and I'm just grateful that you were so gracious with your time. So thank you. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And so the final question is, what's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this discussion? You know, the sooner you can really more for anyone. And I say younger because what is younger these days? But I can only say younger from my perspective. And then the sooner 
a young person and sometimes you have an aged or older person who's still young in the space. So it really applies to anybody that's in stuck in the space. But the sooner you can really understand what is going on on the inside, the sooner you can you can make better decisions. For me, I remember someone telling me that, you know, anger was a choice. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. This is when I was young. I was like, you're crazy. I can't I can't control these emotions. <laughs> this is 1994. The sooner you understand what's going on inside of you before you do or say, right? And again, we all fail at that, but you can consistently subscribe to that. The sooner you're going to make better decisions and have more peace and happiness in your life. And that's, that's agnostic to a belief in one religion or theme or whatever. That's, that's, you have that control. That is what it means, in my opinion, to become a powerful person, to understand what's going on in the inside and then, you know, adjust accordingly. What a way to end it. Mic drop, mic drop, mic drop. Thank you, Michael. I'll drop this one. I'll have to buy a new one. <laughs> Thank you so much. I look forward to continuing to grow our relationship, man. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, bud. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>